Missy D. One two two. Were you talking the microphone? Hello, mic check. One two 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 two. Mike, <laughs> I did not. I did not actually do the mic check. Can we start again from the top? Mic check one two. Mic check one two. <laughs> but I didn't actually do mic check. <laughs> I just said speaking to the microphone. Hello, hello. Whoever is listening to me, hello. <laughs> so as promised, people. Why are you talking to the, my questions for? <laughs> Oh my god! So my people, as I promised last week, I have her here, Her Royal Highness, my mother, is in the house and already only been in the studio for like 30 seconds and she's already doing my head in. I mean, all I asked her to do was a mic check and not even a mic check, I said, can you just speak into the microphone and you said... Well, put the microphone towards Can me. No, I, need, I need to relax. I can't hear you. You need to come nearer to the mic. Well, I need to relax while I'm talking to you. So you put the microphone in front of me. It is. That's a good job. This is live. Oh, my God. All I'm asking you to do is put your chair nearer. Okay. Sorry, this is a budget studio i need two microphones i've only got the one so we're gonna have to share and i know you don't like sharing well i do like sharing and caring well this is what i've been teaching everybody if you cannot put your hand on your mouth when you're speaking and speak into the microphone here yes missy d any more instructions that's perfect so if you can keep your voice that kind of high and near kind of just where your mouth is it's not hard Welcome to the Journal of Missy D 3.0 and thank you for being my guest and uh, thank you for uptaking the booking that you made me book you for. Thank you for having me, Mrs. D. Uh, I don't know what you're going to ask me, but um, I'm in for surprise. So if you could just again speak a little bit louder and a little bit nearer to the microphone. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Are you happy with the position? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just a little bit louder would be great otherwise it's going to be a potential nightmare for me to do my editing can you stop looking at my questions for god's sake this is going to be like a nightmare you moved about 10 inches away from the microphone again oh, hello so again can you just show me how you're going to speak i knew you were going to complain about the heat as well i already i'm a great predictor of my mother and so i want you to now know the conditions that i work under when i do a podcast you can't open the window because all this the noise from the street and the wind goes into the microphone so i sit here and i, I have gillikachi because oh, okay. it, it gets really wet down my back on my face as you can see i've got sweat much but i can't open the window Oh, okay. So you need to get nearer to the microphone again. Okay. We've spent about three minutes trying to get you nearer to the microphone. Hello. Thank you. And if you could keep your voice quite loud. Okay. That's not loud. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> right. This is going to be very difficult. I'm already regretting having my mother on. I think I'm going to... Remember I set up an Instagram... Uh, no, it was an Instagram. No, uh, a TikTok channel for you and I. And it was called Double Trouble Mum and Me. So we're going to call this Double Trouble Mum and Me because you are trouble, basically. Am I? Yeah. Really? Yes. More than you? Well, it's taken me three and a half, four minutes to get you to come near the microphone and put your um, voice louder. So welcome to the Journal of Missy D 3.0. This is episode one of Double Trouble uh, Mum and Me. And so I've, I've spoke about you lots on okay. the podcast. And the first thing I said to the people that are listening is how people uh, always say how we sound the same. 
No, oh, okay. Yeah, we do. And lots of people have said that. Again, see how your voices get little, little, little chunks here? And mine big chunks because I'm speaking loudly and you're not. Well, I said, yes, it is because lots of people have said that in the past and at present as well. And a lot of people also say when we go out a lot, which troubles me a lot, is when they... We are sisters. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are sisters. <laughs> and she's smiling. I am her older sister, not a mother. Yeah. So do you want to tell everyone how old you're going to be July the 15th I'm not, this I'm year? I'm not going to tell nobody my age. I'm sorry. That That's a point there, see. Point one. Why do you always have a problem with your age? Number. Uh, well, a number is just a number. I don't mind, but... Um, you don't mind, but you don't want to tell everyone how old you're going to be on July 15th this year? Um, well, I still look good for my age. Very good. Your daughter age. has the same issue as you. She's like the one in America. She has age issue as well. I mean, it's just a number. And you look, don't look your age because every time she goes, like I think uh, the last few times she's gone to appointments and stuff like medical ones or like pharmacies and stuff. And they ask for her date of birth. They kind of look at you, don't they? Yes, always, always, it's always a compliment. Like um, they look at my date of birth and they look at me and they say, you don't look that age. We thought you were never going to be 79. And you love it. And I love it. Yes, of course. Because only people who carry themselves really well, you know, can have this compliment. First rule of broadcasting, don't put your hand on your mouth and talk like that. Because then people can't hear you. I know you're finding it very difficult. There's hot situations in the studio. We're sitting very close together, which is um, not very comfortable either. But this is this is a... What can I say? It's a cheap studio yeah, with cheap okay. equipment. So maybe you can think about investing some more time and money into more equipment for my studio where I can have more microphones and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Right. So again, remember, your face has now gone away from the microphone and so and you need to speak a little bit louder. Yes. Okay. Right. So um, also a few times when I spoke about you, I well, about me and my, my life and all that kind of business, I always talk about... When your husband came to this country, uh, to Scotland, and then he, I think, set up camp here. Then he went back. Then he married you. Then he came here. Then we came to Gravesend. But I tell the story that I know. But I, I promised our listeners that you would tell the story. You know, when you hit a pen on the desk, people can hear that on the microphone. <laughs> and if you could have eye contact with me, that would help. So then you can, you know, we can talk rather than you look at the pen over there. Honestly. Yeah. So mm. what happened when you got married? How did you, how did you, 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 you were born in Pakistan in 19 beep. She can't give well, you the number. Let me correct you here. First of all, I was, it's Pakistan now, but when I was born, it was not Pakistan. It was India. Ah, I so see. So the, after I, I was born in 1947, there was a partition and it's then part of India became Pakistan and the rest of the India remained India. So when I was born in 1944, July the 15th, it was India basically. So I was basically born in India, which is now Pakistan. I was born in Lahore, which is now part of Pakistan. So when people uh, traveled from that part of India, which became Pakistan, to the other part of India where we relocated permanently in that pinned Kambra, which is in Jalandhar. So we were all Indians and we had Indian passport, you know, when we did have passport. And then you told me that when that partition happened, you were in a refugee camp? Yeah, well, I don't know about the refugee. I don't know anything about partition. I was only two and a half years old. I have got no clue, but I used to ask my grandma, my daddy, and he used to tell me stories how we came on, you know, which are known as Gadde, you know, we came on the, which are driven by oxes in India. And there are lots of people, they were have migrant, you know, they were coming from that area of Lahore to the area uh, which was India. And how there was lots of people, they were camping. And yes, there were camps, but whether we camped or not, I don't know. So Gadda, just in case you don't understand Punjabi, is a cart, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So, okay. And then what happened? So, 
Uh, I'm not going to go through your entire life story. We can kind of touch on your life story. I mean, all you got to say that you were a privileged well, kid <clears throat> that lived a golden life with lots of servants and and uh, lived like yes. a queen. Well, I don't know about queen, but yes, I was because when we came to India, uh, my brother was a year younger than me. He was um, one and a half. Uh, he was born in 45 December. So he was a year and a half younger than me. Uh, he was one year old. I was two and a half year old. When we came to Jalanda, my mother decided that she would look after my brother. But I was taken to Simla where my Masi was. And uh, basically, she kind of adopted me. And um, I lived in Shimla for like till I was eight or nine years old. And I went to convent school there, mm -hmm. which was my base. Like, you know, I had a ayah, which was called an Akali. And for Hold my... On. An ayah is a servant, people, by the way. Uh, yeah. A nanny, we will say. A servant. nanny who was uh, called um, an Arkali. And then from my... Because my mother, there were three sisters. And from my other Masi... My older Masi, she had um, adopted a son, older son, and I was the oldest daughter. So she adopted two of us, put him in a convent school, put me in a convent school. He had a Gorkha who looked after him, and I had a Narkali who looked after me 24-7. And you had a driver? Uh, yes. And uh, I was about eight, nine years old when my mom and dad came. Didn't even recognize them because I used to live with my auntie to take me home. So my my auntie, my Masi, she promised, uh, took a promise from my mom and dad that if you take her back, she is in convent school. You will not put her in any village school or pin school. You will put her equivalent to uh, convent school. So when I came back to Jalinda, they put me in a junior model school in Jalanda, which was kind of English-based. So then you lived a very privileged life. <laughs> yes. A, a very golden uh, royal life. And then if we fast forward, uh, when it came to marriage, I hear that you didn't want to marry my father. You wanted to marry an army man, but you didn't end up marrying an army man. Yes. Why well, did you want to marry an army man? Because army life is really lavish over there. Um, in India, they have messes. You, you go to mess. You don't do anything. You have orderlies. You just sit and play cards. You just order things. And I was all into that, you know, being Cancerian. So um, it was my lavish lifestyle. And I always said to dad, um, I will marry an army officer. And one of the army officers was coming to see me, you know, or meet me. But basically the car got broken on the way, halfway, and they had to go back. So maybe... That was my destiny to marry your dad uh, eventually from England. So how did that happen? Then? I don't know if I got the story right. He came to Scotland first, then he went back and married you? He came to Scotland when he was 16. Oh. He, he came to England when he was 16. Then he moved to Scotland because all his people from village, they lived in Scotland. So he used to drive trams. Him and his brother Iqbal, they used to, they went to Scotland. They, they were living there <clears throat> and driving trams. And then in 1967, he went to, um, no, from Scotland when he was driving trams, he came back, he came to Gravesend because his sister was living in Edith Kent. Oh. So he moved to Gravesend and he got this uh, job in paper mill as a forklift driver because he was driving trams before. And then obviously he decided to go home, um, back home in India, get married. And that's where we met. And uh, September 17, 1967 is when we got married. In India? In India. And then when, when did you move to England? 68. Oh. Yeah. He came back. He came back. Well, we were married in September. He came back in 68, I think, the beginning January, February. And I followed him in July. And then I was born in 1970. And you were born in 1970. So... Lovely. I kind of got that story kind of right. So let's fast forward now to you, basically, then coming to England. We'll forget all the bit about Gravesend in London and moving to Coventry. You you went to Warwick University to do a PGCE. And as far as I, my, my mother is a storyteller. She's told stories all of her life. Right. So because I've heard all these stories a million times over. So basically, when you went to Warwick University, you were the only Asian student. Yeah. Well, um, when, what year was now, that? Basically, there what was, year? Uh, this is 1960, no, 1970. 71. 
71. After I was born. Yeah. Because um, when I was in London, I applied for some supply teaching jobs and I was doing supply teaching because when I came here, I had master's and I had a bachelor of education and they honored those degrees and they said you can teach. So I was I did a little bit of supply teaching in London before we moved to Coventry. Wow. So when I went to came to Coventry, I went to council house and I said, well, these are my degrees. And they says, yes, we will honor them. You know, but the woman who was really nice, she suggested to me, she says, you've got so many degrees. Why don't you do PGC here, which is recognized worldwide, you know, and um, you'd have nothing to lose, you you know, just see, uh, go for an interview and see what they say. So I went to Warwick University, have an interview. I was the only Asian student. When they spoke to me, they said, wow, your English is really good, you know. And I says, well, I come from convent school and that was my base. So they said, OK, normally the Asian students, we have them uh, do the degree for two years, like, you know, PGCE for two years because of their accent and the English and whatnot. Mm. But... You are one of us, so we will. You can do your degree in um, nine months. You know, basically three terms. You are one of us. What does that mean? <laughs> Means that you can. Your spoken English is really good, mm. and it's just that the color of your skin is different, but you you speak English really, really well. So they took English and maths tests, which I passed there and then, and they said, okay, you are, we decided that you can just do the shortest possible, like the students do here, for like three terms you've done, you know, in one year. So why why was it, and is, your English very good? How, how did that happen? Because every time I speak about you, I put on an accent, but you haven't got an accent. My your husband English, had an accent, but well, you haven't got an I, accent. Because, like I said, I was in convent school. My base was English. All the all through India, people have Punjabi medium, Hindi medium. My medium has always been English yeah, because but, my spoken English been very good. But there are people that still come from India, have got uh, PhDs, like you've got doctors in hospitals. Mm. Uh, you have women, uh, you know, who've done the same being in the same education, but they still have the accent. So did you strive? Did you educate yourself to speak like this? Yes, I speak like English, proper English, like, you know, right from the beginning. So it didn't change can you as say, I grew up. Can you say the word diameter? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> diameter. Diameter. Yeah. Diameter. Yeah. Right. So you just about, just back then, you talked about being a Cancerian. Um, uh, I'm going, I jump about in my podcasts. I can't stay with one subject. So I want to know why you're so obsessed with star signs because you love talking about star signs and you you actually think <coughs> it, it, it influences a lot of people's lives and even when you're looking at marrying your daughters and stuff that person had to be the right well, person i strongly feel it does because in india you know it, all this came from india you know um in these uh, pundits and when you have your uh when the Two people are getting married, they match kundalis and all that. And it does affect, you know, it is so true what star sign you're born in and what the other person is from. You know, you click straight away with the people who are uh, who are the same as your star sign, like, you know, the earth sign or the water sign or the fire sign or whatever. So it, uh, I strongly feel that it does matter. It does work. It works like magic. You know, say if an Aquarian marries a Cancerian, it will never work because Cancerian is a water sign and Aquarian is a is an air sign and they like to be free. They like to do weird things, what they want to do. And Cancerian is water sign and very <laughs> sensitive, very emotional, you know, needs attention, uh, very outgoing, you know, a partying all the time, leave, having people around them. So it's it's totally two poles apart. You got to be careful. There could be Aquarians listening, and you just call them weird. You can't like just call them weird. I never said weird. I said weird things. Weird things, same thing, in it. Weird things means like you know, uh, pe peculiar things. I would refer if you if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's not just uh, something you will not even think about doing. You know, they will uh, a peculiar. Uh, stuff like you know they were like so I was born a Capricorn but I'm on the cusp 20th of January and I was uh, 
according to my mother, a lovely Capricorn. And now, what no, do, what when do you, you believe? When you become Aquarian, when that Aquarian sign comes to you, <laughs> in, into you, you know, you and me have uh, our poor two poles apart and we never agree on anything. But when it com Capricorn stuff comes into you, you know, that side of, uh, you know, the stars come into you, then we are sail smoothly. So what, I, so what am I at the moment, a Capricorn or an, or an Aquarian? It keeps on changing with the with the position of the moon and stars. <laughs> what do you mean? What's that got to do with the moon and yeah, the stars? Yeah, yeah. You sometimes it depends where you are. You, you need know? to talk into the microphone. Yeah, you, you keep looking over there. This is the microphone here. <laughs> yeah, where you are, it all depends. So, okay, thank you very much for that. We might go back to that. So, <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun and laughter. So, <laughs> this is my mum, and I don't think I even told them your name but do i need to tell them that you're named or just my mom there's not really important is it really not or do you want really. to tell them your name not really. no and talking about names if they don't want to know well i don't know if they do want to know, <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> it's just like mrs mum huh? or do you want your own identity it's up to you no it's okay you just want to be mrs mum but you need to make sure you keep talking into the microphone and not look at the curtains or look at the, the over there you need to keep your mouth pointed to the microphone <laughs> She's rolling her eyeballs, but it's it's important because otherwise the sound doesn't come out properly. And then it, for me, it becomes a potential editing nightmare. Do you know what I'm saying? Babes. Yeah. So did you do those three questions that I asked you to do? No. Are they in your head? Mm. In a bit, right. Basically, what's going to happen is uh, I've got three questions. I'm going to ask my mum uh, just quick things that she should know about me and see if she can get it right. I asked her to prepare three questions uh, for me to, uh, about her and see if I can get it right. But you haven't prepared your questions. So you're going to have to do it out of your head. OK, but in the meantime. Right. So you have uh, quite an interesting life. So if you come from you were born in India, it became Pakistan. You were a possible refugee. You can't remember. You got married to a, not a, an army man to an Aquarian, your husband. Then you came uh, and, like I said, did your studying and then you ended up teaching um, at Stoke Heath Primary, right? And I distinctly remember a photograph you've got in the uh, family album, um, basically of all these white teachers and there's you, there's one Indian teacher, there's no other Indians in the school, there's no, no other black women or men in the school, it's just all white, 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 white. And you have a photograph of all of them all dressed in saris. So how did that happen? Well, um, I wanted to introduce my culture because, like you said, there were all white people there. And um, uh, obviously, slowly and gradually, when I became part of um, Stoke Heath, um, I thought, well, let me introduce, like, you know, our culture into it because I was very good at art and craft. And uh, come Christmas, uh, I will start from scratch and my room will look fantastic with all the artwork. And my headmistress will come and say to me, oh, my God, you know, really good. And we'll tell teachers to come and have a look at my artwork, which I didn't know that I was that arty anyway. So then I thought... Um, Come Diwali, like, you know, we thought they celebrate everything. So I asked my headmistress, I said, well, we celebrate Diwali. How, how about that? And then um, she said, oh, that'll be a good idea. So I used to take a toll player, do teach children, you know, Pangra. And then in assembly, we'll do Pangra and dancing. And even all the teachers will start dancing with the toll, like, you know. Then I have mums of all the Asian children to cook food and bring it in and bring the divas and we'll celebrate. And gradually then they loved it. So then they say, oh, because I will wear sari um, on these functions. And they say, oh, really look nice, you know. And one day they said it was, I think, 50th uh, Stokey's anniversary. They says, Regina, why don't we all wear saris, you know? And I said, that's fine. So I took all the saris, dressed all the teachers and all the staff, I think is about 15 of them and myself. We were all in saris and took that picture. When did you get that job at Stokey's Primary? 70 what? Was it 60? It was, uh, well, when you were born. Yeah, it's 19... 69 no 70 i was teaching in um um the school on edgewick mm -hmm. which was on a road where we were living so when you were born edgewick i did two years and then i had an interview uh, 71 i think i had interview at um stoke heath and uh, started at stoke edgewick i was doing just a temporary you know job so 71 i started teaching at stoke heath and i was there for 14 years 14 years. So, uh, and also from what all the stories that I've heard, you encountered a lot of racism um, as 
the only Indian teacher. Were you, were you the only Indian teacher in that school or in Coventry? In that school. Was, were there quite few Indian teachers there around? Was, there was a primary school and a junior school, you know, and between the two schools, I was the only Asian teachers and the whole staff was really friendly and they would say, uh, Rajinda, there's only one one withdrawal here, which is your color of your skin, you know. But if there you were white, you would you'll be one of us because the way you speak, the way you behave, the way you live, you know, it's just like uh, any European, other any other European person, which was a compliment. But then uh, I was the only Asian. But then the headmistress, you know, she was, you know, bit like always picking on me because I was only Asian person. And it was because you love your skin. And um, no, why? Why did you pick on you then? She was always find something with my, you know, these, uh, I didn't, um, in front of parents, like, you know, she one day she came and barged into nursery. I was doing nursery, sing song. And they, she says, oh, why, uh, I've told you that this is not the right time. Why you told this girl to put the pictures up or whatever. And the mothers were standing there and I felt, felt quite uh, insulting, like in front of the parents, but I didn't say anything. And that happened a few times, you know, picked on my, um, what you call it, the lesson plans and, you know, a couple of things and the things I did. And I thought, well, then I had word with my deputy headmistress and she says, it's really strange because she doesn't pick on anybody else but you, you know. Is it because the colour of your skin or because she's not comfortable? So one day when she really insulted me in front of the whole, there was a corridor full of parents and she said something, she shouted at me. I thought, that's it. And I said to my deputy head, I says, I'm going to go in and have a word with her. She said, not now, do it at the end of the day. So, okay, I did my class, everything, everybody went home. And my whole staff knew in that school that I was going to go and see Miss Trenchard, which was the name of the headmistress. So I went in there, shut the door. The staff was standing outside the door. And I said to her, I says, Miss Trenchard, I would like to have a word with you. And she said, but I don't want to speak to you. I says, but I really need to have a word with you. You know, the way you insult me always uh, in front of parents, just because I'm a only Asian teacher. This is how I feel. And this is called racism. And she just stood up with folded arms off a chair. You are accusing me of racism. <laughs> and I says, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. But I stayed cool, calm and collective in front of the door so that she doesn't open the door and chuck me out. So I was standing right in front of the door and I said, yes, this is exactly what I'm saying because enough is enough. I've been here for last 14 years and if you want me out of this school, find some other excuse. Don't do this to me because the whole staff is with me. They have never found any fault with me except you. And you always do that when parents are standing either outside my classroom or it's a home time and you yell at me. So we had, a, I had, I said what I wanted to say, opened the door. All the staff were standing outside, came home, had a good cry. I said to my, I called my deputy head, my other good friend, you know, Mrs. Fenty. And I said, look, I'm not coming tomorrow because I've had enough. They says, are you mad? You don't do that. This is what she wants. She wants to get rid of you. So come tomorrow to school and then show her, you know, that, you're not scared of her and just do your normal thing and see how it goes. So I I took their advice. I went to school. I did my class. And in between lunchtime, she comes to my class and she sat there on the table and she says, Mrs. Dami, I'm really sorry for yesterday. Le, she apologized to you. And then she became my best friend after all that. So you've always been quite feisty and quite fiery. Well, I always fight for my rights. Yeah, you do fight. You do fight a lot. My mother is a bit of a fighter. And you always, always speak the truth. I mean, if there is something you feel is not right, then you should try and solve it yeah. and fight for it. And you always speak very loud as well in I a do. teacher's voice. I do. Why? Once, well, that's what people say. Once a teacher, always a teacher. So as far as the discipline is concerned and being organized is concerned, which you hate. All my children hate being organized. Why? And they hate me being tidy. They hate me picking cushions from this side and that side. They all hate it. But well, this is me. I like to be organized because once a teacher, always a teacher. Yeah, but you like to be organized, yeah? I like to be organized. Yeah. 
but you give instructions to other people no, to do things is, that they don't want to do. No, but this is I I did all my education in hostels. Yes. And when you're in a hostel, there is a uh, girl in charge, you know, who comes and look first thing in the morning if your beds are done, if everything is okay in your rooms. So that discipline and I was also in NCC which is a national cadet corps you know which is in India like uh, army you know junior army thing and they teach you they we used to do camping and they used to teach you discipline you wake up at this time you do you make your bed this time you eat this time so that discipline is all inside you but that was in your army camp in your school we don't live in an army camp here. But uh, this is then it becomes a habit. This is my habit. Your habit. Yeah, my habit. But why are you tapping your habit onto my me? I'm not doing anything you to you. I. You, you, why is it that you gave us timetables when we were timetable a timetable to do this at like this time? Said, this at that time. Discipline. This was the discipline. <laughs> this is where I come from. This is where I was living. This is how I was brought up, and this is what ingrained in me discipline. And if I. I'm really, you say OTT about tidying up. Yes, if I'm OTT about tidying up, it is because that's discipline. I don't like things lying out of place or out of space. Everything should be in the right place at the right time. Can you see what I have to live with? So I've not said any of this. She said it all of herself. So you've just admitted that you are OTT. I am, I am. And then you give I, too this many is, instructions. This is what you say, I am. And you, you have too many demands. Um, so I, I don't know about demands. Maybe well, it's I'm, quite demanding asking people to do things twenty four seven how you want it done. But it's because you want it done. I don't want it done like that because I'm not like that. Not that I'm lazy, but I don't have a time. You have a a time limit. It must be I, done. The the thing is, I don't like clutter. I don't like this. If books are here, papers are here. Your all the whole thing microphone. Is here, microphone. That, that's clutter. I don't like clutter. Even my clothes, when I come, even at three o'clock in the in the morning from a party, I fold them and I put them in the right place where they belong. Maybe it's OTT, but this is what I am. No, that's know, fine. I will tidy all this clutter before I sit down and have nice place, you know, where I can. Go. No, I accept that you've got your issue. What I don't accept is when it goes over into my life. I'm not telling you what to do. You're sitting in a clutter. You your books me. are on one side. Your papers are on one side. Your other stuff is on the other side. This is all clutter. But I don't like mother, it. you tell me what to do all the time. I don't tell From you morning till night. No, morning till night. No, I... Morning till night. And just for those listening, yes, we do bicker a lot. We do live together and live in this house. There's myself and my mother and my kutta who's lying on the floor right now like he's dead. Um, and uh, we buy food for about 700 people. Our shopping in Waitrose costs about £300 and then we do a shopping Tesco's that cost about 250 quid. Um, and there's only two of us that live in this house. So I'm glad that you admitted that you're a bit of a control freak. But I never said. Uh, I'm saying you are, though. Well, well isn't that a control freak, though? Having you have to do this and it must be like this and this must be tied like this. And there shouldn't be any I, like no. piles of my books here and there shouldn't be clutter and the cushion should be right and the bed should be done in the morning and the house should be clean and the thing should be hoovered and the da 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 da. Well, hang on a minute. One microphone, the, darling, microphone. Hang on a minute. One of the famous writers, I think Kay sent us that, said, when you do your bed first thing in the morning, that's the first thing you have achieved for the day. And you you think to yourself, wow, I've done something. That's doing your bed. That's the first thing. You you read it. I read it. Everybody read it. And that's a famous writer who said that. So that's the first step of the day, doing your bed. I right? think you've just been conditioned badly. No, I'm not. I I'm think not, you've got software I think malfunction. Been, no, I think I've been disciplined. <laughs> I've been disciplined badly. And that discipline is ingrained in me. And but at least I, you admit it's bad. You, you just said I've been disciplined badly. Well, not badly. I've been disciplined. Yeah, badly. and you can't get it out of your system. I can't. But then you are using that same uh, formula on your children. And why do you think your children are children? I, in which sense? Is, I don't think it's bad. I mean, if I'm trying to discipline you and doing good things in you, like in within in time, like, you know, making your bed, which is good thing you know doing your brush in the morning doing your brush these are these are the basic things any parent will teach their children but you, you know? there's no children well now you're not children but when you, but you children, still treat me like a child i don't treat you and i'm not the only person people listening to this right now especially asian uh adults will still be treated like children by their parents why is an asian parent 
is able to do that and gore parents don't gore parents don't treat because their kids Asians, like kids because they treat them like adults because asian microphone because asian people they live in extended families always have been i mean not now she speaks really loud by the way uh, it, not now this is and like, likes to shout it's it's not now i uh, <laughs> i either you speak or you let me speak <laughs> right the problem <laughs> you asked me question so let me speak, it is the please. podcast right and you in what was the question why is that uh, why you control freak why why asian people are, microphone why asian people even at why do asian parents treat their children like children and never let them grow up because like i said if you let me speak people used to live in extended families i mean now people live live individually but i'm talking about when i was growing up even before me there were big extended families right so the grandparents would teach uh, 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 grandparents will treat their parents like you know like children and the parents will treat their children like children even if, when they grown up they have children they still have to budge in and tell them what to do and what not to do because they think we have an experience and we can tell them from our own experience what is right and what is wrong so that come that becomes ingrained in you again because when i was it i was not individualist or living all by myself i was living in extended family with my daddy with my dad with my pua and everybody so you know these things come from really old old times and now because you living by yourself nobody says anything to anybody and you can treat your p- children however you want <laughs> that kind of made sense but it didn't really answer my question it is answering your question it did make sense because that was back in the day living in extended families because people my age who have come from india this is how been we been grown up so telling our parents always treated us like children and that's no they didn't because i lived always, with your parents always i lived with your your parents lived with us nanni lived with us nanna didn't live with us but nanni lived with us when uh, nanna died and no your your mother didn't treat you like they a they didn't children. live with you nanni nanna didn't live with you they lived in america nanni lived here when nanna died she was obviously nanna died she was very timid she didn't want to say anything but if nanni and nanna both together when i was in america they would tell me what is wrong and what is right they will still treat me as a child this is not right you don't you they will come to my house they lived opposite my house and they will still treat me as a child as you can see you can't get past an argument with this lady because she always thinks she is what right yes she always thinks she's right and this is the frustrations uh, that i live in i'm glad that you can actually hear it because i didn't even go into that realm so i was going to talk about life in the 70s but that might get really uh, long because i wanted to talk about how difficult it was with the teddy boys the skinheads i've kind of touched on that subject but let's forget about that i wanted to ask your opinion because this is the the journal of missy d 3.0 and and re2 3.0 as well because it's a journey about me um and my healing journey and f- about finding my identity so i wanted to know from you and so everyone else can hear as well because obviously my opinion of me is my opinion and your opinion is different because you brought me uh, or up so who was retu to you tell me more about me like what kind of a person was retu because there's two of me there's missy d which we'll go into in, in in fact there was more than missy d firstly you used to get you gave us all english names when we were at school your school so me all my sisters apart from the baby sister anu because she came 11 years after me we all went to stokeith primary the the school she just talked about and then you gave us english names so i was jessica gappa was becky Uh, Becky Darmy was notoriously known in Coventry. I mean, her name was famous. She was more famous than me. And then Sapna never got an English name. Why? Sups. Sups. But that wasn't really an English name. What did you get lazy on the third so one? This is, no, this is what teachers used to call her. And then um, obviously Sups became her name. So why? where did you get Jessica, Jessica and Becky from? 
Um, from my staff, we were just talking, and then uh, they said uh, I was telling them the names, and they said, "Well, that's their Asian names, and uh, you are now working, you know, in a European country. Why don't you give them like an English name as well, which could be easier for people to say?" So we were just sitting there, and uh, you were called Jessica, and she was called. I Becky. like that name, Jessica. Do you know just down there, Belgrave Road, um, the Mace Market? Her actual name is Jane. It's not like. Not it's not a, a nickname. Her mom registered her name as Jane. So when she was born, uh, the Gordy next to her she said, uh, uh, "I want to name your child," and she named her Jane, J A Y N E. Wow. Do you think that's quite bizarre? Oh, it's not really bizarre because we had uh, cousins. There were Susan and Stephen, but do you reckon they were their real names? Mm, I don't know, Susan. No, Susan. Uh, yeah, Susan I su- was a real. Was name. Susan her real name? Mm. Susan and Stephen. And Stephen that? was a real name. Was it? But then her, their big brother was called Chinda. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. So, okay, let's go back to Ritu. So I've always said I was a really painfully shy child and uh, can't remember the stuff that I said about myself, but I was shy. I was fat. Um, I was the look after person. So I had to look after everyone and had lots of responsibilities. How can you describe me as your child Ritu? Into the microphone, uh, please. You're not gone out the microphone again. Okay. Out the microphone. You can... uh, no, I'm not. I'm um, right here. So, yeah, well, Ritu, uh, when you were growing up, you were uh, very, very understanding and mature uh, person and very placid and calm. And I... I remember I never used to have to tell you anything twice, like, you know, till the others were born, obviously. And um, when you just have to say something to you just once and you will just take it. But you you never gave me any trouble, you know, when you were going growing up. But when Sapna and Kay came along, um, I even used to go to town and leave them with you and used to say, never mind, mum, you go, I'll look after them. So even at the age of six or seven, you know, you had the responsibility of looking after your younger, you know, siblings. So in that case, you were really, really, um, really good. Uh, and even in your, on your, all your reports, your teacher will say she's very placid, she's very calm. Shy. Shy, intelligent, intelligent, um, caring and understanding. So this is... Uh, so how, how did I become the golden child? What do you mean by golden? I was the golden child. But because you were the firstborn. Obviously, you were the golden child. And so, but, so why did all the aunties go and Ritu, Ritu Bangar Ho Koi Ni Sakada? Yeah, because obviously, this, like I said, now it's ingrained in you. Your nature has become so, when you were growing up, these things, these qualities were yours. And then you grew up with them. You always was very pleasant with anybody who would come to a house you know, any of my friends or relatives, and everybody would admire you. Everybody would say, Ritu di mummy. Nobody would say, Sapna di mummy, ya kappa di mummy. Oh, yeah, they'd say, we're going to Ritu's house. Ritu di mummy. We're going to Ritu's house. Everybody will admire Ritu because Ritu was growing. such a cool, calm and collective person. And it, she was so, um, uh, what you call it? They admire you for your manners. You know, and with your pleasantness, you were so pleasant to them. And even now, my all my friends, they say nobody can be like Ritu because she's so pleasant. She's so caring. Maybe I should get an award. So did you ever think I would become a famous radio presenter? Never. Never? No, because you were so shy. And um, I wanted, I sent you to do... uh, Teaching. No, com- before teaching, I wanted you to do the computer. You know, I wanted studies. to do. Comp- no, I wanted to do computers all my life. You said you will become a teacher. You do no, teaching. teacher was last of all. But when we sent you for the computer, uh, I wanted to do the computers. But then I you went off to Wolverhampton to do um, the what degree is it? You tell me. Um, oh my god! You can hear the fly in the microphone. I, yeah. Um, you don't know the degree I did. What degrees did I do, mommy? Radio. No. no not I haven't. I, have I didn't do a degree What's in radio. It's, um... <laughs> it's, it can't come to my mind. A BA honours in... God, you can hear that fly. Communications. BA communications and photography. Photography. Yeah, photography. And you think that me and Ram, 
made a plan to go to Wolverhampton University yeah, together. Because you were supposed to do computer studies. I didn't get into the computer studies, love. Mm. I applied for computer studies at Coventry University and I went through clearing. And because I don't have any A-levels, I've got one A-level D and I haven't got any A's and B's in my O-levels. I only got C's and uh, C's and 1's and uh, failed my English and sociology. I only went, yes. I didn't even know that. I've only got one D in photography, darling. I haven't got A's and B's and nothing in my life. Oh. And uh, I, so it didn't happen that I, my my cousin Ram is, me and him are stuck to the hip. We are like best mates, right? And I've grown up with him. He's my poor son. I've talked to him about Ram a million times. My mum has always thought that me and Ram made a plan to go together to Wolverhampton University. Um, but it's not true. I got through to Wolverhampton Uni. I don't know how or why I got through to communications and um, BA communications and um, media communications and photography. Um, I got the place. He called me. I called him. And we were going to university at the same year. And we both said, guess where I'm going? I goes, where are you going? He goes, Wolverhampton. I said, Wolverhampton. What degree? And he said, BA communications, photography and same thing. Oh. Actually, it wasn't a BA at that time. I did a H&D. Um, I did a H&D first because I didn't have the uh, qualifications to do the degree. Then I converted it into a degree. And you did honours beyond. Oh, you don't even know that. And, and then after that, what degree did I do? That was your biggest desire of your life. Teaching. Yeah. PGCE. So PGCE that you wanted me to do. And did I go into teaching after that? Yeah. No, I didn't. I went back into radio. But you did teach. Yes, if because because I had to. Mm. But I didn't want to. You never didn't have want to. Never liked teaching. But that was that came handy. But like, it, yeah, you know. because that was your dream. I've always. It was my dream that somebody will be out of uh, this lot will become a teacher. No, you wanted me to and become she, the teacher. And uh, obviously, you know, I had so much uh, teaching of equipment lying over here at home. Mom, stop putting band in front of somebody to use it. So she did uh, uh, become a teacher, and then when she left radio, I think that came quite handy. Uh, you know, for some time. You well, know, it helped me survive, money. but it wasn't the, my favorite Well, it helped you survive. That's the main thing. Survive fittest. Of teaching the, is the worst thing in the world. The Absolutely detest it. If someone paid me now to teach, I would never teach again. Well, that's your choice. But I love teaching. Teaching is boring and just I mean, people... to begin with, I never wanted to teach like her ever. I mean, when I was doing my even my Bachelor of Education and my Master's, where people will say, oh, what do you want to become? You want to become a professor or something. And I will say, I hate professors and I just don't like teaching. Hate is a strong word. I will word. not go into this uh, field. But what came as my um, the whole uh, scenario for my whole life is teaching. You know, but I enjoyed it. I mean, in those days, teaching was fun. I hated it. You know, when I was teaching uh, in 1971, it was such a great fun, like, you know, with all a the... fun. Yeah. It was such a great fun. Yeah. My mother liked to say a fun. We had a fun. So off the teaching spectrum, as a famous radio DJ, what did you now think about my career as a radio presenter and standing on stages in front of millions of people? Well, not millions, that's an exaggeration, thousands, DJing, all that kind of business, hosting. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you did very well. You did very well, like, you know, entertaining people and doing hosting and all that, because I never, being... A shy child who was a very placid and calm and would not go in front of, would not even dance like, you know, in front of people. And now standing on the stage hosting and doing all this radio work, I think uh, uh, it's just totally fantastic, you know, what you did for yourself. So do you think Missy D and Ritu are two different people or are we the same? Two different people. We're two different people? Yeah. So who's Missy? Missy is the one now which is, uh, like you said, hosting and doing radio and come out of the shell and just don't care. And Ritu was the person who was very plastic and calm and growing up, like very shy, looking after her sisters and siblings. So that was Ritu. But Ritu came out of the shell, I think, after a few, well, about 20 years ago, is Missy. Ritu became Missy about 20 years ago. But do, do, do you see both Ritu and Missy mm. like every day? Yeah. There's says two me that come out in different ways every day. Yeah. Oh. Do you know who I am though? Uh, who are you, Missy D? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you know what? My family 
don't ever treat me like I'm famous. They treat me like shit. They honestly do. They treat me like their servant. And there is no Missy D kind of high life that I live in this house. Although I, you've had all the perks of Missy D, there was a time where I went to the very first IFA in London and I I took her to the back. She met Kylie Minogue. She met Jackie Chan. Jackie Shuroff. Um, tried to take her into his cabin. He was kind of holding her hand and said, why don't you come into my cabin, yeah? <laughs> and then she tried to take Shah Rukh Khan's autograph. And what happened then? I didn't have a pen. And I says, I haven't got a pen. <laughs> Can you please give me a pen to give autograph? <laughs> and he put autograph on my hand. <laughs> and you've got all the VIP tickets in the world. You always got front seat rock star a seating. Oh, thank you. Thanks for that. You don't have to, to thank you and me. Ram. And Ram is uh, also Ram that we just talked about. He is a world famous fashion photographer. He he made it possible for her to meet, meet Dame Judy Dench, Amitabh Bachchan. Um, um, we went to a shoot in a castle and you met Abhishek Bachchan. And what did Abhishek Bachchan do? Abhishek Bachchan. Abhishek Bachchan, when I went in, Touch your feet. Um, um, Ram was there with Abhishek Bachchan and uh, his sister. And he says, well, there is this is my mommy G and this is Missy D. And he says, oh, you're mommy G. So Abhishek Bachchan touched my feet and said, uh, and, you know, I was so surprised, taken aback, you know, by that. And he, and he had lunch us, with them. Yeah, and had lunch with all of them. And then we had pictures taken and it gave us really uh, first class Treatment like, you know, when we're there, there you know, having pictures. So you're and you're still stuff. treated like a queen, basically, yes. with all the famous yes. people in your life. Yes. You don't treat as famous because treat, she treats Ram like shit too. So does his father. I mean, Ram's dad does not treat Ram like a super rock star that he is. I mean, like you I have said, no idea. We always who... treat our children like children. Which is wrong. What you are, our ch- you are my child. I, I am better with your I child. Oh, Queen Elizabeth, I will still teach you like my child. But I'm not a child. I don't care. I'm 53. I, it doesn't matter. You're still my child. I am your child. Yeah. But a I'm not child. A, a child. But you, me and Ram get treated like children. Bless him. Anyway, so we have, we've gone way over time. Have you got your three questions? I haven't, but you start, then I'll do Okay, the so then if you haven't got your three questions, do you want to come back to do another podcast? Yeah, <laughs> She's, you've actually overtaken the whole entire podcast. Shouted at me and t- <laughs> and took out all your stress, and uh, I can see she's really enjoying this. So what I'll do, I'll do my questions. Um, you can do your questions next time, and then we're going to end with a song, which is one of your favourite songs. Okay. Uh, yeah. So here's my questions. I, I wrote them in a piece of paper, so you can't see them. I can't, I can't do it off my phone because you know my phone is off with the EMF. So number one question: What's the two things that I really hate? The two things I really hate in life. <laughs> late people, <laughs> late people and um, thick people. <laughs> oh my God, you know it. So yeah, the two, the biggest hate of my life. She'll never be late anyway. If you want her to come somewhere, she will always be on time or before time, not late. Never late. And when people are late, it absolutely pains me and thick people and I'm not being rude what I hate what I say is I hate thick people is when people have a brain right the brain is hardly used only 10% of your brain is used by most people everybody has a brain cell but nobody uses it my family uses my entire brain all the time how do you do this how do you do that how do you open this how do you do this how do you do that how do, and it's always let's use Ritu's brain you have a brain why don't you lot use it same with next you, question. same with Kappa, next same with Sapna, same with Anu. Anyway, next question. If I could eat one thing every day, what would it be? If you? Could eat one thing every day, what would it be? If you eat one thing every day. What's the one thing I could eat every single day? God. There's, a, there's one or two options, actually. So if you get one right, I'll be quite happy. I've said it a million times, I could eat this every day. Toast. Bread. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> one more chance. Um, our sandwich. Mm, you sandwich possible with sandwich with crisp. But that's that is one option. I, I could, cheese and onion crisp. I could eat a packet of cheese and onion crisp and a ham sandwich every day. Yes, but there's another one. My favorite favorite that I could eat every day for my dinner. For your dinner, yeah. Uh, chicken curry. <laughs> no. uh-uh. What is it, mom? You know what it is. If I could eat every day, I could. Think about gore. Gore Potatoes. Food. No, almost. Potato. Jacket <sighs> potato. Jacket, are you joking me? Jacket potato, mom. Uh, Begins with a F. Pa- huh? 
<laughs> right, you haven't got that one. Uh, no, it's not potato and uh, ham what sandwich and cheese. And you can't. Well, you think about you it. I always say I'll, I'll have ham sandwich and cheese. Fish and chips. Oh, fish and chips. Okay. And what is my favourite film ever? Mm, favourite film in the microphone. Not looking out the window. Can you put your mouth there? Yeah, I know. I'm thinking. Just let me just think. <laughs> it's just. I bet you're loving this, aren't you? <laughs> Your favourite film is... My favourite film of all time that I've watched about 700 times. Oh. What's the English film? Um, yes. On the right track. Although there are uh, Indian ones as well. Yeah, in Okiyoho. I can't remember. The she's thing. old. But she's getting there. Yeah, I know. Um, <coughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> I know um, the name doesn't. Mike, it's English film, very very old. Uh, Shane's but Shane loves it as well. Yes, you know? it's. Um, you, you cannot not not know it because I've seen ten productions on the theatre with you as well. I know. Um, in my mind, it's got Dorothy you know, in it. I know Dorothy in it, and the Tin Man, and uh, I know who is in it, who and, else? The, and the uh, the song as well. You know, what is it? Over the Rainbow. Yeah. You know, but I can't remember. The Wizard. The Wizard of Oz. Waheguru. <laughs> Waheguru. So now we're going to, we've gone well over time. Normally I finish around 45 minutes, but it's gone over time. So mum loves to do Shadow Shidey, which we'll do in episode two of Double Trouble Mum and Me. It seems that this podcast uh, could be an ongoing thing. So maybe I can rope her in once a month or something uh, or make every couple of weeks or whatever. Um, and she likes to sing. Uh, we're going to get a shadow shiny in the next one. Uh, we do a lot of Bollywood Bear Bear, which we'll do probably in the next time as well. But this time I want her to sing one of her favourite songs that we grew up with. And it uh, it's called Meet Me Tonight in the Moonlight. So come on to the microphone. And I want, I want before you sing it, I'll sing it with you if you want me to. Uh, now, today? Yeah. Oh, my God. Just a little bit of it. Can you come near the microphone? I'm sick and tired of asking you to come near the microphone. Honestly. Yeah. Um, what is the, where's, where did Meet Me Tonight in the Moonlight come from? And why is it one of your favourite songs? And why did we grow up listening to it every time guests would come to the house? Mainly Popperji and Puwaji, which is Ram's mum and dad and other guests. Um, but the men would have their drinks. Uh, the kids would be running around. Everyone would get together about nine o'clock at night and have a mehfil. Mehfil means all the family get together and um, everyone's just having a laugh and chilling and eating and drinking. And then Puppaji would bust out his Shero Shadi and songs and mum would get her Shero Shadi songs out and Nanaji as well. Um, and Meet Me Tonight in the Moonlight was always one you would always bust out. Where did it come from and why do you sing it? it? Uh, because in my college days, like I said, I had most, the majority of my education is been done in hostels and hostel is where you stay with your friends and your pals and you know you learn pals. from each other so this is the we used to in the evening when we used to finish college like or whatever and after eating we will just go for the round and round the circles and just sing songs like you know and these are some of the songs you know which I used so to from sing college in my college days, days, ah, days from your heydays yeah from my heydays so okay whenever you're ready Oh, today? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, meet me tonight in the moonlight. Come darling, on. meet me tonight all alone. For I have a story to tell you. Story that never be told. Hey! hey. Once a mama pet a mama under a lulu tree. Said the papa to the mama, will you marry me? So, oh. meet me tonight in the moonlight. Meet me tonight all alone, for I have a story to tell you, a story that never been told. I'll tell you the rest of the story in the next episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it from episode one of Double Trouble Mum and Me on the Journal of Missy D. Well, actually, this is separate to the Journal of Missy D. This is just going to be called Double Trouble Mum and Me, episode one. And episode two, you tell me, do you want it bi-weekly? Do you want it monthly? Did you enjoy it? Let me know on all the usual platforms you can email the journal of missy d at gmail.com uh, message me on instagram on facebook um, mother is also findable on instagram and facebook i'll get that up for you as well so thank you very much for coming on uh, for your very first podcast how was your experience it was great yeah i thought you're going to ask me some 
silly questions and some, you know, put me uh, at the forefront, but uh, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I they, can tell they, you they these stories later. forever, like, you know, if you want. So not a problem. I told you we got, she's a storyteller. Now we're going to get to the Bababuba stories a little bit later on in your life and everything else. So um, we just kind of kept it light. And um, although you've kind of pulled out a lot of your own bit yourself, I didn't say anything. You said it all yourself. So at least you can't tell me off. Uh, the rest of you, thank you for listening. And we will catch you on the, the next episode. Later. Double trouble, mum and me. Missy D. She's so talented, you know. Mm-hmm.